It's not just about teaching skills and girls so that they can get in these career paths that are amazing, but it's building a better community. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. This is Annalise Corbin with Learning Unboxed, and welcome back. I am excited, as always, because we are going to have some more of our continuing conversations about the way that we can change the world by moving more girls, in particular, into amazing career opportunities, STEM and STEAM, and everything in between. And to uh, join us today in that conversation, we have Tammy Wharton, who is the president and CEO for Girls. Girl Scouts of Ohio Heartland. And Girl Scouts of Ohio um, Heartland is a council that serves uh, 20,000 girls in 30 Ohio counties. And that's just a wow factor. So Tammy, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So um, lots of folks are familiar with Girl Scouts in a sort of general sense. Um, But I do want to sort of dig in a little bit. And I've always been very deliberate about sort of who and what we talk about on this program. And we have spent a lot of time this, this past year with this program leaning in to informal and the things that the informal world of education and experience can bring to us and lend to us and sort of um, impact um, in the more formalized traditional sort of school or academic settings that we often think about when we we contemplate um, learning, especially when we sort of get into all the STEM stuff. And so Girl Scouts, like um, some of the other informals that we've been able to talk to, um, are having huge, huge impacts if we think about and leverage them um, and all the uh, opportunities that there are. So, uh, Tammy, I'd like to start a little bit with, just tell us tell us sort of a, about what you think about when you think about Girl Scouts and why is it important both to you as a person, but to you as an organization? Well, we're always talking about the relevance of Girl Scouts. And when people think about Girl Scouts, they always thought about the three C's historically, Mm -hmm. the cookies, crafts, and camping. And we try and change their minds to think about the three C's of courage, confidence, and character, which are, are, it's our mission statement. Mm -hmm. And it's so important for those three C's for girls to go into fields such as STEM and have the confidence to pursue the fields in ways that they haven't in the past. Um, We talked, you said about leaning in for um, different ways of learning. And we all know that Many of us learn differently, and the classroom for me was not one that I excelled well in. It was more of the kinesthetic, hands-on learning environment, which is what Girl Scouts is all about, putting programs together in a way that girls want them and that they sometimes don't even realize that they're learning the skills that they're learning in the classroom. So we're tying those skills together and teaching them and saying, if you want to help someone, you can help somebody by learning robotics or Mm -hmm. learning engineering and many of the STEM fields and still accomplish what you want to accomplish. So we do it in a way that it's um, specific for the girls. 
Let's talk a little bit because this is a part of the conversation and you and I've had had this piece of a conversation multiple times of the years. How do you ensure an organization such as a Girl Scouts is able to stay relevant? I mean, over time, and it's been around for a long time, so clearly it's figured out as a big, giant umbrella organization globally how to do a lot of this. But on the local level, how do you maintain the relevance in a community that then allows you to do the amazing things that we're going to talk about that you do? So, Because lots of organizations struggle with that. I think Girl Scouts, in many ways, has done a better job than most with this, but it's still an ongoing effort. Well, and it's been an effort over the years, and it's probably had its peaks and valleys over the years as far as um, individuals realizing what the relevance of Girl Scouting is. In 1912, when Girl Scouts was founded, we had an electrician badge. Mm -hmm. So we've been into STEM. We've been into entrepreneurship, that Mm -hmm. little cookie program that we talk about. (laughs) That little cookie program. Yeah, and it's (laughs) actually the biggest social entrepreneurial program for girls in the world. But it gets overlooked. And I think that that's the issue that we face. It's Mm -hmm. not one of, are we providing relevant programs? It's, are we branding it to the public so they know the programs that we are providing and giving them the, um, I guess, the respect Mm -hmm. um, that they deserve in this world and how they meet the needs of today's girls. And that's, again, it's an ongoing battle, but I think your point is really, really critical, is how do we help the public understand what this is today versus what it's not? And and how how to tap into, and I think this is part of that sort of bigger social consciousness, and one of the reasons why on this program we have, and it's not at the exclusion of of, of boys or any other programs, but we have dipped in and pulled organizations that are very specifically doing stuff with girls, with women and minorities on purpose on this program. You know, as as you said, it's really easy for the stuff to get overlooked. And I think it gets overlooked in the wake of all of this sort of social movement that's happening globally. Um, because no, I, I suppose most folks don't realize that the Girl Scout Cookies is the single largest social entrepreneurship program on the globe. I mean, that's daunting and amazing and awing to say, much less think about. And it's an all-volunteer workforce, too, and that that's doing it. So I mean, how many lessons could be learned from that if we really were to dissect it, right? Well, and, and it's amazing what our girls are doing and also our volunteers. You can't do it without the support of caring Mm -hmm. adults. So I don't want to forget them as well. Yeah. Um, But I just, I think there's just so many different pieces that are going through my head as far as the relevance. Um, A lot of individuals and our national CEO is a real life rocket scientist. Mm -hmm. And she was the first Latino, and that's male or female, Mm -hmm. to get her systems engineering degree at Stanford University, master's Mm -hmm. in systems engineers. So you can see how we're taking a pivot to more STEM careers. When you look at what's happening in the world, we're talking a lot about equity and we're talking a lot about women. And we know that the education of children are often predicated off of what the mother does. So if we can get mothers in STEM jobs, which are good paying jobs, Mm -hmm. and get our girls in that workforce or that pipeline to get into the workforce, then think about the social changes that we can make because they're not worried about paycheck to paycheck. They're learning skills and really uh, mastering skills that they've had all along. We just have to teach them in a way that they're understanding it. And Boys and girls learn differently. Mm-hmm. So I love mm-hmm. that you're lifting mm-hmm. lifting girls up in this conversation. Um, I've had many a conversations with 
CEOs in this community that are desperate for certain Mm -hmm. fields to be filled. And I said, if you're not getting to the girls in the formative years, and we're talking kindergarten, we're talking third grade is Mm -hmm. when they're creating their STEM identity, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. I know you Mm -hmm. know all the research for. And so if we're neglecting them in those formative years, we can't expect them to come around in high school or middle school and all of a sudden to say, oh, I'm good in STEM or oh, I'm good in math. Mm -hmm. And and that what does that really mean to them? Uh, But we need to teach them skills that they can fail at, which we Mm -hmm. say is our first attempt in learning. And then they can get back up and try it again and try it again uh, because we don't, girls don't have to be perfect in this world, but that's part of that exploration process. And our programs are designed to be progressive programs starting at a young age, making sure that they have caring adults by their side, which are all things that research says are needed for success. And then the other piece of the secret sauce is having women interact with our girls so that they can see it. Because we always say, if you can see it, you can be it. Mm-hmm. That with the confidence, though. Right. Because if they don't have the confidence to begin with, uh, they won't, they can't be anything. So, mm-hmm. you know, putting all of those pieces together, we call that our secret sauce, which is the Girl Scout leadership experience. Mm-hmm. And all of that made possible because as an organization, Girl Scouts Global has a set of pillars that that essentially all the work that you do sort of rests upon. And these those these pillars, they're critical because they 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 play not a role just in sort of your mission and vision, but your decision making. So talk to us a little bit about the the three pillars that you utilize because that then gets us back eventually to the on the ground, the actual activities, the things that you are doing. Because it's and I wanna I wanna be able to pull the lessons from the success with the activity and the inspiration and the you know, the, the hook, that engagement with those kiddos early on that then propels them to, you know, be a tr- real rocket science and go off and lead Girl Scouts one day, right? That that's, that is a progression that's possible, right? So talk to us a little bit about the pillars and how you utilize the concepts from that in the decision-making that you, you so engage in. really focused on the programs that we're providing because we don't want to be everything to everybody. We can't be mm-hmm. everything to everybody. And that's why there's so many amazing organizations out there that also support girls, and we look at we look to partner with them. Um, the pillars that we have are STEM, which I'm sure we'll talk more about as we go forward. The outdoors, and I know a lot of people originally said, "Oh, Girl Scouts camp," but they forget it now in in today's world. They don't realize that Girl Scouts is all about adventure. Girls want to have adventure. They may be different. They may not be that different than boys. But we provide those activities. Mm -hmm. We also have that entrepreneurship program, which we talked about, which is coupled with financial literacy because girls need to learn how to manage their money. Mm -hmm. Um, And as they become adults, uh, we know that that's one of the skills that a lot of women do not have or have not uh, been experts in and need to be. And then the life skills, the anti-bullying. Kids need to talk to each other, Mm -hmm. all kids. And with social media becoming as um, relevant today and the eight devices that they're on at one time, that's a problem. We talk behind screens. And so those are key skills that we're not utilizing like we used to before these devices are were developed. I'm not saying they're bad, mm-hmm. but we need to be able to do both to make sure that we're productive in workplaces that are 
often multi-generational. Right, right. You need to be able to look somebody in the eye and have a conversation with them. Absolutely. And not just like a two-word conversation. Yeah. And so. But it's tough. I mean, kids do struggle in that space, right? I mean, grow, like you said, it's, it's they have to grow confidence and they have to practice. And the reality is they, they have to practice an awful lot of things in the business of growing up to, to be ready to go out into that world as that fully functional adult. So, Absolutely. Uh, and I think one of the other things that um, research is showing is that this is the first generation that's been indoors more than outdoors. Mm -hmm. And so think of the things that are going to happen because of that result as as a result of that. They're not all good. No, I'm, you know, I hear you say that and I, all I want to go is, oh, that makes me really sad. And and I, you know, thank you for that because I've not thought about it like that. But that that's that's a bit daunting to me to think about. Well, and here's some other pieces that are, are always fun as we go out to camp and explore with girls for the first time. Um, a lot of gro- girls that are growing up in an urban center, mm-hmm. um, we want to get them to the outdoors. We have a camp right here in Franklin County. And when they first went out there, they looked up at the trees and they go, are the trees real? And we're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> what are you saying? And they're like, they're like falling down and leaves and leaves are on the ground and the branches aren't all pruned. We're used to perfect looking trees in an mm-hmm, urban center. Setting, right. And and it just it boggled my mind. You know, they don't know the smells of fresh cut grass mm-hmm. sometimes and the smells of the leaves falling and just some of the things that you experience out at camp, they've not experienced. And and some of it's cultural. Mm-hmm. Um, we had um, a group of uh, families, um, Latina families come out and enjoy outdoor camping for the first time. When we say an outdoor camping experience, we don't throw girls into an overnight experience because it has to be a progression. Mm-hmm. They have to have a good first experience, like in anything that they're doing, in order to go for that second experience. And so um, we had some girls that went to that day camping experience. Mm-hmm. And then next, they went to a full week of day camp. And then just this year, um, five of the girls went to an overnight experience and had a great time. But just like all of our programs, they're very progressive. They mm-hmm. start at introductions, and then move on to more advanced. Um, I'd say also our programs, one of the things we talk about the Girl Scout leadership experience, that's what Girl Scouts is about. But the experience is in partnership with a lot of entities. Right. I know that we've had partnerships in the past, yep. um, and, and that's what makes it so special. We always say powered by Girl Scouts, mm-hmm. but we couldn't do it without great collaborators in our community. We aren't the experts on everything. When you talk about STEM, when you talk about um, some of the life skills, we need the experts to come in mm-hmm. and help us. We'll overlay the Girl Scout leadership experience, but that's what makes Girl Scouts mm-hmm. special and relevant today. And I think that then gets to one of the really awesome sort of initiatives that has been coming out of Girl Scouts. And to your point, it's actually been going on since the beginning, but putting new labels on it, right? Um, is that notion of the, the the work that Girl Scouts is very deliberately doing um, in STEM and by adding specific STEM badges, for example, for those who are familiar with Girl Scouts and the earning of badges, that's very important um, as, as part of the experience. And, um, you know, to your point, you know, we have partnered, for example, um, with Girl Scouts on doing things like Minecraft, right? Yes. And so, and then and taking that and, and allowing the girls to sort of experience 
experience that component of it. And so there's just so many different ways. So talk to us a little bit about sort of the 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 initiative as it relates to STEM and what what have what what is a Girl Scouts as an organization really sort of doing and focusing with that and maybe some 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 of those stellar examples um, that I've heard you talk about before. So um, we've released 150 badges recently, the majority of them in STEM. And we're talking about robotics. We're talking about engineering. We're talking about cybersecurity, mm-hmm. hacking for good. It's awesome. It, it's incredible. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's daunting when people hear about yeah. these things. But imagine your smartwatch, your Apple Watch, your Fitbit, all of these different devices or your cell phone of today. If we do not have women around the table learning STEM skills and helping to promote um, and design these features, think about the jeopardy that they the girls can be in. Their mm-hmm. safety, for mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. There's tracking devices on all of these all of these items. So how do we make it safer so that individuals that we don't want tracking us aren't tracking us for ill reasons? Mm-hmm. Um, we are getting ready to release civics badges because civics is not taught mm-hmm. in school as much anymore. Right, right. So, um, but who's going to look out for our national security? Mm-hmm. We want the women around the table that are that think differently than um, the men, and it's a complementary thought process to bring everybody into the mix to look out for what we need in the future. So, those are just some of the badges, mm-hmm. which are progressions, and in order to earn a badge, you have to master a skill. Right. And so that's what makes those so specific. And those come from our national office. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have journeys. And, and these are some of the stories that I love. We have national partners, one of them being Raytheon. Mm-hmm. Um, they partnered with us and they were working on some submarine designs. And, and they said, well, you teach girls how to build boats and you race them. That's how you do the program. And our team said, no, that's no. not how you do the program. That's not how you get excite- girls excited. Some girls will absolutely be excited with that, but other girls, not so much. So our team went back and thought about how do we best do this? And they took corgi dogs, you know, the mm-hmm. queen's dog with the little legs. And you think about, you're talking about gravity and buoyancy when mm-hmm. you're talking about building a boat. And so you have to make your corgi dog float. So the girls get to name the dog. and. Maybe this is a little grotesque, but they got to figure out how to keep their corgi dog from drowning. Mm-hmm. So they create all these buoyancy and um, flotation devices to keep them afloat. And they learn the same skills. They learn them in a way that is designed specifically for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get a great outcome. And then we teach them as we're going along what we're talking about, the buoyancy, the gravi- gravity, and all those other pieces that they're learning along the way. Uh, another example, which is my other favorite example, is um, there's a herd of elephants. And elephants are, their leaders are the matriarchs. So, of course, as a girls' organization, mm-hmm. I would love the elephants. <laughs> and the um, the uh, matriarch elephant gets her leg caught in a snare. And in order to save the entire herd, they have to create a robotic limb for the elephant. And the creativity that girls come up with and they're helping mm-hmm. because that's what girls want to do. They want to help um, society, which is a which is a great thing. They can do it through a lot of different um, careers, uh, but why not in STEM? 
Well, yeah, why not? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's in everything, right? And that's, I guess, oftentimes in this conversation, I always try to redirect folks back to, to that space is that, yeah, we talk about STEM, and at least in the U.S., it's because, you know, the Fed stuck a label on it. And, right. and it, it's this great need, I mean, not to detract from it at all. It is truly, truly this great need that we have, uh, not just in our country, but around the globe. And the greater diversity of participants, back to your point, means we have a better chance of asking all the right questions that we need to ask as things are designed and developed. But at the end of the day, there is STEM in absolutely everything. Well, and the sad part is there's only 28% of women in STEM fields. Correct. And that is not in the leadership. Right. So we're roughly half the population and 28% in all STEM fields. And in some, it's like 3%, mm-hmm. aeronautical mm-hmm. engineering, Aviation, aviation 3%. Yeah. Yep, yep. And so you sit there and you go, wait a minute, what are we doing? When we talk about building a future workforce, if we're ignoring half that workforce, then we're not able to um, reach our best case scenarios for our um, workforce or for the companies that they work for or for our girls. Well, and the reality of it is too, and I, I think that your example of the Corgi uh, in particular, right, sort of brings this home. And I'd push on it a little bit um, only from the senses, like, you know, that sort of next phase of that, you're getting the girls to engage from the get-go, like you said, you know, to come in, we're going to show you how to build a boat. And a few girls will be excited about that. But many more will be like, I don't really want to build a boat. And they don't know why they don't want to build a boat. And they don't even know why that building a boat doesn't appeal to them. They just know, I'm not really interested in that. Um, but the minute you turned it into, but we've got to keep this corgi afloat so it doesn't drown, right? You know, that was, it was a game changer. And that is all about the engagement, right? And and it's taking all, to your point, all the same concepts and saying, I'm going to throw a hook at this thing so it will stick. Because if it sticks and you get all the way through to getting your corgi clear across the pond without, you know, sinking to the bottom and some tragic mishap of corginess, at the end of the day, then then after that, you can't have the conversation, now let's build a boat. Well, and just building on that piece yeah. of it, having these activities that are not in a classroom, mm-hmm. they're outside, they're hands-on, just maybe when they get into the classrooms, the concepts will, will connect. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's getting those connections so that they can do the skills, learn the skills, and then connect the skills. That's what learning's all about. And it's not either or. Right. It's right. and. And so we have to do all of these different types of learning in order to really excel at these skills. And we see that over and over again. And I think that's a really, really important point that you make, that what's happening in that informal setting can be the catalyst and it can be the aha moment. I mean, you want them to happen in both places, don't get me wrong. But sometimes, like you said, it doesn't. Sometimes you just need to see that concept again in a different setting for it to finally all connect for you. And so, you know, the beauty of what I think happens in a lot of these informal environments is, you know, the reality of that is, is there's this awesome opportunity for informal, not only to um, influence or to reinforce what's happening in the formal, but um, but literally to sort of help sort of transition, um, especially right now as more and more of the formal education, as we really think about what should education look like in the 21st um, century, this moment and, and moving forward. Not like it was, right? But we're still wrestling with, but what, if it's not like it was, but what should it be? And my encouragement to all those in those formal spaces is look to the success of informal. There's a reason 
informal aid that it's out there and it's so popular. And it's because the way it engages the learner. And research proves that. Yeah, over and over again. (laughs) Yeah, and so I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's nice. Those extracurricular activities. But there is the research that says that girls, and I obviously Mm -hmm. our research is in girls, but girls involved in extracurricular activities. And of course, Girl Scouts Mm -hmm. fare better, not only in the present, but in the future. Mm -hmm. So those instances that they've had benefit them for a lifetime. Right. Right. And, and, and it not just only benefits them, it benefits everything around them, right? Back to your point and the earlier, community and- they're asking a different set of questions. They're asking for decisions to be made from a different perspective and point of view. And so once again, you know, the greater diversity of participants in anything that we're working on is just going to lend itself to a greater place. And, and it's interesting because um, other research, and I, and I love the research because it backs up mm-hmm. what we're trying to do. It says that girls learn better in an all-girls environment. It also says that boys learn better when girls are in that environment. Right. And so, you know, what is your objective? Mm-hmm. That's what you got to think about. You know, are you trying to um, do programming specifically for girls so that they can excel? Or are you trying to help boys excel and create that community piece? So you just you just have to figure out what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And then which resources you're going to draw on. And so... Correct. So let's talk a little bit about the resource piece because I know that this will be a question that gets asked, especially for those who only understand Girl Scouts as this thing over here, back to your point, this extracurricular, this thing on the side. So what, if any, process exists to take Girl Scouts and enmesh and embed it in more formal spaces? So, and we haven't talked about this, so it could just be sort of, you know, a giant lob uh, that I'm tossing at you, but but that's an intriguing thing. You know, how do we take the success of what Girl Scouts is doing? And I know, for example, uh, locally, there's been some tangential conversations with school districts around, okay, what might that be? Because the reality is um, some schools are really, really looking for that engagement factor to be infused across what they're doing and and how can or should they do that and whether it's a Girl Scouts or it's 4-H or some other great thing that's happening in someone's community, how did you go about doing that? How do you craft the partnerships? Because back to one of the things you said earlier, you don't do any of this stuff on your own because you need all these other folks involved in your ecosystem. So how does the evolving local ecosystem work? Well, I, I love the um, analogy. We don't need to think outside the box. We need to create recreate the box. Mm-hmm. And that means from the school systems to what we're doing to what any organization's doing. It needs to be partnerships and we need to meet girls and youth where they are. Um, so it doesn't mean a one size fits all mm-hmm. kind of an a- approach. And where Girl Scouts was in the past is very different than where we are today. And so a lot of our volunteers, we, we deliver program through volunteerism and troops, but we also do outreach. We go into the schools. We do formal education. And now we're looking to partner with different organizations because we don't want to be this, this type of organization that everybody stereotypes. Mm-hmm. We want to reach across um, all girls in our communities and populations. Um, and so it's important that we start partnering with other organizations in ways that we've not done before. We've done a lot of different programs, but we um, started an initiative called Dream Big, Mm -hmm. and it's powered by Girl Scouts. And I'm very intentional to say it's powered by Girl Scouts, and it's called Dream Big because it's as big as we can 
imagine. So we're talking to school districts um, right now. And so we're saying, okay, you have buildings and you have certain spaces, but you don't have 220 acres of outdoor space. Our girls are in school. Most of our girls are in school during the school day. Why don't we partner and make this part of your educational experience, the outdoor experience, the hands-on experience during the day? And then we use it on the weekends when our girls are able to utilize it. But it's really thinking differently. It's not that's mine, that's yours. Mm-hmm. How does how does different assets become ours for the betterment of the community? And, and that's where Dream Big is. And I said earlier, we don't want to be the experts in everything. Mm-hmm. We're the experts in girls and how to um, provide programming specific to girls that they're going to react to. But if we can couple with organizations that are experts, past foundation, mm-hmm. um, Battelle, mm-hmm. and I'm saying for-profits, non-profits, institutions, and create the programs that are specific to our youth, then we can create a lot of solutions, workforce development solutions. That's that's big right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And we have to think further out too. Um, I know that a lot of times we're used to instant gratification, <laughs> but we're not going to get instant gratification in the workforce. So how do we grow our own experts and keep them in that pipeline from kindergarten through 12th so that they're going into the fields that are those in-demand jobs, whether it be a two-year education, four-year education, trade school, it doesn't matter, but we have to make sure that we're keeping them in that pipeline throughout the entire school times. We do. And and I just just to be really clear with our listeners, so Dream Big is not just an idea or a concept. It's tied to a place but not limited by place. Yes. Right? So share just a little bit about the Dream Big concept for our folks because it's a brand new initiative. I know it's bright and shiny. Uh, you're just just launching it out. And so help 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 folks understand what it, what are the com- components or the key pieces of it and then how might folks tap into that? So to back up, Girl Scouts of the USA, which is our national headquarters, mm-hmm. they put out an initiative to put two point five million girls in the STEM pipeline by 2025. Yay. And so that's exciting. (laughs) And they're doing, that's where the STEM badges Mm -hmm. came from and the journeys that we talked about. But what are we doing locally? Mm -hmm. And what kind of programming are we partnering with to provide for girls locally? What are the needs locally? They're very different than when you're doing something for a national group. And so that's where Dream Big came out of. Mm -hmm. We said, you know, we held a national conference in 2017 and had 10,000 people mm-hmm. come to Columbus. And it kind of whetted our appetite to what can we do next and more for the girls that didn't get to participate in that um, week long of activities. And we went to a STEM camp in Texas mm-hmm. and said, you know what? We could do something like this right here in our camp in Columbus. It's in Franklin County. Uh, there's a lot of population right here. It's one of the few places that the population's growing in our city. Mm-hmm. And it is, there's a lot of um, needs. And so we laughed and, and I love Texas. They've shared a lot of different things with us. And I, we always say, Texas does it big and we're going to do it better. Mm-hmm. I joke with them, <laughs> but they were on the bleeding edge of figuring it out because mm-hmm. they've been open for a year now. And they've shared all the great things that happened and the challenges so that we can be on the leading edge. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful to um, our sister councils in Texas, in Northeast Texas, that helped start this initiative. And that's where Dream Big came out of. And it's um, how do we create a living laboratory where we have activities happening, we have scientists on site, and we have a lot of individuals coming 
and utilizing that property, or we take the programs out to the Mm -hmm. schools Mm -hmm. so that they can learn about it's a lot of STEM pieces. Mm-hmm. It is. It's a lot of stuff. I'm really excited about it because I can't wait to roll up our sleeves and play. Well, yeah. and we talk about, um, you know, urban settings mm-hmm. and getting fresh vegetables. That's huge. You know, the the food scarcity and everything. Mm-hmm. What if we teach our youth how to grow vegetables going up and um, the hydroponic mm-hmm. piece of it mm-hmm. so that they can have fresh vegetables no matter where they live? Right. And so there's a lot of partners that are doing that. Um, already in the for-profit sector. Um, You can think of a couple of them Mm -hmm. off the top of your head. So how do we bring them in so that they can help us develop our programs? And then we take the programs out to the girls and to the youth. And then we can also fuel food pantries and help um, others. So as you said earlier, it's Mm -hmm. not just about teaching skills and girls so that they can get in these career paths that are amazing, but it's building a better community. It is. And at the end of the day, that's really, really critical because one of the things that we know very, very much already, uh, especially as it relates to Gen Z, is that yes, it's the first generation that spent more time inside than outside. That still blows my mind, Tammy. But also, it's a generation that very much needs what they do to be important to them. And I, and I say important and not not about them. It's not about the world has to be about me. That we're actually seeing a nice shift finally, right? Right. right. Um, so it's not that. It's really that it, it has to be, and it's more than just a social cause. I mean, th- this is a group of folks that care about social justice. They care about equity. They care about sustainability. Inclusion. Sustainability yeah, is everything. Our environment. They care about the environment in ways that we haven't seen in a really, really long time. And so it's a generation that wants community. And maybe that's the way to really sort of think about it. They crave community. And it's it doesn't even have to be community in the traditional sense. They seem to have a knack for crafting community based on the diversity and the resources and the things that they have in ways I've not seen kids do in a long time. So it's intriguing to me. When I'm blessed to work with a lot of the girls on different um, programs and getting the girls' voices in there mm-hmm. is so critical because that's how we know what they're interested in so that we can build the programs around those pieces and parts. And we're thinking about programming differently than we ever Mm -hmm. have before. And we have to think about it on a multifaceted level because what do our companies need of the future and what do the girls want of today? And how do we bridge that gap so that we're teaching skills, we're working with collaborators um, to accomplish all of those pieces so that we're, in essence, filling their buckets, both Mm -hmm. through skills and through their personal social society pieces that they want to make better, make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too, that's really interesting, and I think we have to be mindful of, and um, I'll use this sort of as the mechanism that leads us down our wrapping sort of 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 our conversation today is, so a wonderful colleague and well-regarded futurist, um, Heather McGowan, I was uh, in Santa Fe with her a couple weeks ago, listening to her talk about uh, the work that she does around workforce and that the future of work is learning. And I agree wholeheartedly with almost everything I've ever um, seen um, Heather um, working on. Well, one of the things that she was talking about the other day that I thought, holy moly, man, we need to make sure that we do not lose sight of this. It was the reminder that the kids that we are serving um, today, right, that their work life expectancy 
So their contribution, their actual intellectual and social contribution into the world we live in via their work is a, is a timeline that has them working solidly and contributing through their mid-70s. Wow. So think about the fact that when we were in school, right, we were working towards a notion that our work life ended at mid-50s. There's 20 more years of work and productivity for these folks. And we're still functioning in a system that's not preparing our workforce to accept and be a working workforce into that space. And so we're suddenly finding ourselves with this group of folks that still have a lot to do and how to do it meaningfully. And we're crafting this entire generation that is going to be thinking about work very differently than we've ever thought about it before. Well, and think about how far technology has come. I mean, yeah. I think that's one of the biggest changes in our lifetime yeah. that we've seen. And so by the time these youth that are going into the workforce are 70, how is the workforce going to change and how are we going to keep up with all of those changes? So while they're working to that point, are there bricks and mortar buildings that they work from? Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? Are we teleporting at this point? I, I'd like to do something about that um, traffic out there. So maybe that'll be resolved by the time they're yeah. 70. I don't know. But but we have to think about how, again, do we meet that meet the youth where they are today, mm-hmm. but also think one eye to the future because it's not going to be the same that it's been. It's going to be a very different world of work as well. And mm-hmm. so how do we make sure that we're bringing girls and boys to the table so that we can get the best of the best in our communities and resolve a lot of these issues that are out there, societal issues that I think this generation is going to help solve. Oh, I think absolutely. And I think that, um, I think it's intriguing because they are truly thinking about the world very differently. I, um, um, one of the episodes that we've done was uh, an interview with a gentleman by the name of Russell Stevens, um, who was from the Two Oceans Aquarium uh, down in South Africa. And uh, one of the most uh, remarkable things that he said in that episode, Learning Unboxed, and still sort of haunting to me, but I think also indicative of this same conversation. He has a 14-year-old daughter, right? So right in the mix of this Gen Z group we're talking about, who said to him, you know, Dad, you're going to die of old age. I'm going to die from uh, global warming. So this generation is thinking about the fact that the clock is ticking for them in a way that it's that it's been a very very long time in, in cycles of human evolution and generations that that we have and they have a very different endpoint in mind and they are we're going to save the planet right they're going to and, and, and think gonna about the complexities of that yeah. they're going to cure cancer yeah. and and it's amazing you know how much how many strides have been made and all these other medical challenges. I believe that that is probably mm-hmm. true because mm-hmm. I think that we will see a um, cure for cancer at mm-hmm. some point, or at least some of the some of the cancers. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping it'll be a Girl Scout that that does, does that, <laughs> of course, and then says, "Yes, look what I learned. I got my start making antibiotics in a, a camp program uh-huh. way back when with um, with some of the other medical centers around town that helped create the program." I, I got myself know. a pharmacy badge. There who you knows? go. That's right. 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 That's right. right. And who knows what those badges will be of the future? Exactly. And we we can't know. And the reality, you're right. The rate and pace of technology and change right now. It's not that things haven't always been changing. It's the rate and pace Correct. has um, is it such that we've never seen before. And so it means lots of things. And uh, Girl Scouts will be right in the thick of things. I have no doubt. 
Well, and we'll be reaching out and partnering with all of the entities here too, because again, we can't make the community yeah. better by ourselves. And again, we'll we'll say powered by Girl Scouts, we'll overlay the Girl Scout leadership experience, but it what do they say? It takes a village. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to take a village to resolve the problems that we have and the, the um, challenges that we face. And I believe that we have the youth to do it. We do. And they are awesome young women. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tammy, for being uh, with us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.